0: Good strong signal, metal underneath. Can Can you tell what
1: kind of metal it is?
0: Yes. I've got four different selectors on this one. Um, That's a general. Change it. The positive signal is not iron. Slight rejection there it means it's probably aluminium, cantop, something like that. i change that down to... Well, hey, that could be silver or gold.
1: gold has urged men since the world was inhabited. It is the only metal that does not tarnish with time. Early history glows with its significance. Gold reflects the sun, the life-giving mark of the seasons. It is a metal which has been worshipped as no other. Across the known world from the earliest times, it's been worshipped and used to worship. The Incas, the Sun King, the Egyptians, the Celts. On a date in February 1979, Michael Webb, a Clonmel businessman, and his son, also Michael, were prospecting in the region of Killinall in South Tipperary. In a remote area stands the monastery of Dyrnaflan, the Oakwood of the Flans, so named after monks named Flan or Flannan or Flown, who set up a monastery there sometime in 700 AD, and that was only 300 years after Patrick had brought the Christian faith to this island. Even then the new church was rent with differences and there is a view which says that the three monks whose new Christian name each was Flan had gone to this place on a wooded island to renew the spirituality and holiness of the new faith. The place was Largo from even earlier inhabitation of worship. Afterwards such was the rooted sense with which they absolved the new faith among those who made pilgrimage to it that for a thousand years it became known as of Flan or in Latin Roboretum Flanorum on an English, Derry Flan.
0: I've been hunting over this bit of land for a long time. You can see it, for miles around. Green Island in the middle of this big brown bog. You can see the bog stretches for miles. We came up to the church here. First thing we did was clean it up. There was a lot of old cans and broken glass around. I went out through the other side of the church and started metal detecting. Mike went the other way. I got two or three signals, marked them, moved on. And then I got a very good one, just outside here. Very good signal. But there was something a bit wrong with the machine, a loose connection, I suppose. So I called Mike over and I said, look, just try there and see what you think. So he came over. And tried it. Beautiful signal. Large round area about two feet across. I went back and got a small little hand trowel and dug the two or three other pieces, other two or three other signals, cartridge case, a couple of bits of metal. That's all. So then we started digging this. Small little hole, about four inches across, two or three inches down, nothing. Made it a bit bigger, nothing tried the detector on it again and we got a fine signal. So we lifted off the turf of um, about a foot and a half across and started digging down and we came across a bluey green piece of metal, rounded. It looked like a buried shell. So um, I said to might be careful here. I don't like the look of it and um, we picked away with our fingers.
2: We, we didn't really know what it was, I mean, for all we know, actually Daddy thought when, when we had it half dug up, he thought it was a bomb from the old, from the Troubles. And, uh, I mean, we hadn't a clue what, what the hell it was. It
0: looked like the edge of a bowl or a basin. So we were quite happy at that, that uh, we'd found an old feeding bowl. So we picked away and with our fingers and with the trowel, and the hole got bigger, <laughs> the basin got bigger. I think it must have been two and a half hours later, and we were exhausted. Rain was coming down, the light was going, we were muddy, we were tired. But we finally got right down to the bottom and we were able to put our fingers right round the bowl. Mike got one side of the hole, I got the other and said, OK, right now we lift it up nice and easy, so that we won't break it, because there was a bit of damage done on the, on the bowl. Um, deteriorated and was flaking away and we lifted it out nice and easy seemed extraordinarily heavy put it down beside the hole and Mike picked something up and said hey look dad look at this look at this and it looked like a bit of colored glass I was looking down in the hole and I saw what I thought was a lot of old kitchen utensils Bowl, um Strainer, and for some reason they're very disappointed about it. Why I should be, I'm not quite sure. Because we hadn't expected anything under the basin anyway. So then I bent down and I picked it up, picked up the the bowl, and it suddenly came to me what it was. Mike said to me, "What's wrong, Dad?" I said look at this, look at it and I said that is a chalice and the only other one I've seen is in the National Museum.
2: He was in utter amazement and so was I because there he was as white as a sheet holding this chalice, you know, big huge chalice in, in, the, in his two hands and he was as white as a sheet and the two was, God, <laughs> didn't know where we were.
0: Mike gave a whoop. <laughs> have, we f- have we really found it? He said, have we found it? I said yes and he gave a fair imitation of Mike Murphy dancing. (laughs) You could see the gold, then. You could see all the intricate gold work, wire work, beautiful hammered silver work. It was unbelievable. We looked at the other pieces. Mike picked up the strainer. We looked underneath the basin, and we've then saw the pattern. There were pieces of gold dropping all over the place. The pattern was in bits. There was a wire, an iron wire, I think, that held everything to pieces. It, 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 it had um, burst open the, the pattern. And the uh, glass studs had fallen out, and the gold filigree panels had fallen out. So, we wondered what to do next. For one wild moment, I was going to put everything back into the hole and um, come back another day because the light was going and we had two miles of the bog to cross. So, anyway, we picked up all the bits and pieces, put them into the chalice, the chalice in, and the pattern into the big bowl, and then filled in the hole. We left one or two pieces in the hole. We just did not have time to investigate everything. So, there we were. Loaded up with the bronze bowl, the chalice, pattern, all the bits and pieces of gold, the metal detectors. the light was fading, the rain was coming down, and we staggered two miles across the bog back to the car.
3: It
4: ranks in importance uh, with the Arda Chalice and the Tara Brooch and the Crozier of the Abbas of Clonmacnoise. It is one of the major uh, finds of the early Christian period in Ireland. Would
1: anything like it be in any other country?
4: Not uh, of that particular kind, because uh, in Ireland uh, these works of art are of this early historic, early Christian period. In England you will have Anglo-Saxon art, Uh, such as the Sutton Hoo ship burial and other things of that kind, but it is distinctively Irish, Irish Irish-orientated ornament. What does
1: it tell us about the people and the religious practices of the time?
4: Well, Ireland has been known in the past as the island of saints and scholars, and admittedly, not all were saints and not all were scholars. Nevertheless, in Ireland in the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th centuries, there were many monasteries and churches. And in these churches, there would have been church uh, vestments and church vessels. And we have, from the last century, the Arda chalice, uh, but now we have a second uh, chalice, and this brings to mind the fact, which we should all know, in that every monastery and every church in Ireland at that time would have had a reasonably good chalice and other uh, vessels, and this is beginning to prove the point. And I would expect that there are many more chalices of this kind in Ireland uh, waiting to be recovered, but hopefully not by means of metal detectors. On the other hand, if
1: Michael Webb hadn't been using a metal detector, this find may not have come to light for an awful long time yet.
4: That is quite true. Uh, The possibility would be that it would not be recovered for perhaps 100 years until that uh, site was scientifically excavated. On the other hand, we feel that that particular find, which was covered by a bronze basin and was away from the acids of the soil, would have remained and would have been preserved and would have awaited recovery in in, uh, systematic excavation. Nevertheless, uh, Michael Webb, having found the chalice and the pattern, did the right thing, reported the matter to the National Museum, not only reported it, but brought it here on the day following its discovery, and as a result we were then in a position to go back to the actual site of discovery and to recover in the course of excavation a number of other parts of the actual pattern. And this has been very useful from not only a scientific point of view, but from a general point of view, that we were able to recover the totality of that hoard from the earth. That is something, in fact, That doesn't happen uh, with other metal detector users. They, if you like, uh, take the object from its surroundings, do not report it, and therefore we don't know, and they don't know, uh, sometimes, where they actually recovered it and whether there was something else with it which would be of considerable interest to people interested in archaeology and history. Is it your own feeling from
1: the grapevine of archaeology that uh something like this may have been found and is secreted, is kept somewhere?
4: Well, I'm not too sure if something like this, but I do know uh, from the grapevine that there are many items that have been recovered by the use of metal detectors from lands all over the country. Now, there are a number of points in relation to that. First of all, people enter upon lands, lands owned by others, lands owned by farmers, and they take away material which is actually in many cases, the property of the farmer. In the first case, uh, they are trespassing. uh, They are removing this material. In the second place, uh, when they recover material, and if they do not report it to uh, some authoritative source, such as the National Museum or the Office of Public Works, it means that this find is lost from history to a great extent. They may, in fact, and some do, report it a year later, or sometime like that. But uh, the, the use of metal detectors for all this purpose is, in fact, Uh, wrong, morally and otherwise, and uh, we we don't feel that it is the correct way in which to collect history. Uh,
1: A contrary view to that is that a proportion of the significant finds over the centuries have been found by amateurs or
4: accidentally. This is quite true. The majority of finds have been recovered accidentally by people cutting turf, by farmers, ploughing, and so forth. And I think that that is, if you like, a nice and accidental way to recover material. And in general, the farmers and turf workers and others who have found these things, they have reported to the local guard, or they have reported to the museum, and we have gone to them and examined the find with them. Uh, unfortunately, with many metal detector users, they find the object, they don't report it, they don't seek assistance in recording further evidence of the past in, in that particular place.
1: How did you feel or what did you feel when Michael Webb walked into your office here the following Monday with the Dana Flan chalice in a cardboard box?
4: Well, he walked in and uh, things in cardboard boxes as it were sometimes are important things and when the chalice was revealed and the pattern that went with it and the strainer, I felt yes, uh, these are objects that have found uh, their new resting place and uh, I was, indeed, appreciative of his action in bringing them to us, and I think I did at the time present him with a copy of our Treasures of Early Irish Art as uh, a gesture of of goodwill and to show our appreciation of what he had done. Um, I was, indeed, uh, very glad. Naturally, I was not, if you like, excited, because with uh, objects of this kind uh, all around us, as it were, over the years, one becomes, as it were, anesthetized to this kind of, of material. Nevertheless, uh, I thought it was a very good thing and a very proper thing for him to do. Do you feel he has been adequately compensated? Uh, I think so. We we must take into regard the fact that the using of metal detectors is not quite the right thing to do. All right, uh, Michael Webb used a metal detector, recovered the material, uh, brought it to the proper authorities here at the National Museum, but uh, we must have recourse to, as it were, the law of the land. And we have the National Monuments Act of 1930 and 1954, and it says that it shall not be lawful for any person without or otherwise than in accordance with, as they say, a license issued by the commissioners of public works to dig or excavate in or under any land. Uh, Now, if one is using a metal detector, one is actually probing in or under land. And in that case, uh, one is acting contrary to the law. So therefore, I must say that Uh, The use of metal detectors, even by Michael Webb, uh, cannot really meet with our approval.
1: Brendan O'Riordan, Director of the National Museum. The question of compensation is a thorny one, given that the state has certain rights in the matter of what is regarded as treasure trove, and given that in most cases finders are happy to have an object of beauty repose in the National Museum, and that they are given some amount in recognition. But how to define that amount? On the open market of international dealing, such a rarefied find as the Darina Flan hoard would fetch as much as someone is prepared to pay for it. That could be one million pounds, it could be more. But given again that in this case it would be illegal for whoever is a judged owner to export the chalice and the hoard without a license issued by the relevant government minister, I say a judged owner, for there is now a definite conflict of views between the National Museum and Michael Webb as to the legal ownership of the Derry-Naflan hoard. Do you feel you've been adequately compensated for the find?
0: That has not been discussed yet. It's still in the
1: hands of the uh, museum. What is your attitude to the chalice and possible compensation?
0: Well, we
1: are claiming the goods
0: as ours as of the moment the museum hasn't claimed it when they claim it or when they make a claim to it we can then discuss compensation In
1: 1932 Patrick Nolan then a youngster of 15 living on the family farm on the rocky wastes of the Burling County Clare found a collar of gold a collar of gold in fact right out of Malachy and out of mythology. A fortnight ago he recreated for me that
3: experience. It was the month of May. And I happened to be walking a- over the path. It was a path where, I f- where the colour of gold was hid. And I had travelled that path umpteen times before that.
1: It but, was on your land?
3: Yes. But this day, I just saw a small ribbon a small corner of the colour sticking out from the rock. A tiny bit. And I just wondered, what was it? And I clipped down and I could barely catch the collar with two fingers. And a, a gentle pulling, I got a lever out the colour from the crevice of rock. and. Uh, Whoever hid the collar there, he had to double the collar. He had to fold the collar to get it to fit into the crevice of the rock. Because if he put the collar in whole, it wouldn't fit. He had to double it over and push it under the rock. And I opened back the collar to what you see today. And it was as bright and as shiny when I took it out from under that rock as it is in the museum today.
1: And how come that in your years in passing that particular pathway you'd never seen it before? Had
3: it...? I stood over it. Actually, I stood over it and didn't see it. Because there was only a tiny, as much as I could... Ca- there was only as much sticking out as I could grip with the thumb and finger.
1: And when the archaeologists came to look at this place here where, where it was, how did they decide that it was there for so many thousand years? Is that where it was originally left as part of a burial mound?
3: There was no sign of a burial mound. How it came there, they decided it was anybody's guess. It could be put there by the wearer coming or going from battle. But evidently whoever hid it there didn't think much of the value of the collar because he doubled it and pushed it in. It, it could be the the officer or soldier going to battle or coming. There was didn't want wanted it to be found or discovered by anybody.
1: You're talking about 4,000 yeah, four thousand years
3: ago. Well, it, it, was only, it was only made seven hundred B.C.
1: That's the date of it, 700 B.C. That's what the archaeologists reckon was, 700 B.C., BC, which is about 2,500 years ago.
3: It's still some finds here. Well, I had it in my possession for two years, and I I showed it to different people, people who I thought should know, it, and they all put it down for this and that, and they didn't know. Until finally, one evening, Justice Leeson was shooting at our house, himself and a friend of mine, joking all of in his diamond, And Mr Gleason asked me, did I ever find anything out of the ordinary? Any ancient, what I think would be out of the ordinary? And I told him
1: I did. Why should he ask you a question like that?
3: Himself and my friend were talking about, he he came down that conversation about some old house where there was certain items of interest in it, items of interest there. And I thought he suddenly thought, I don't know, he sprung the question on me anyway. And I showed him the colour of gold. And he said it, that it was a colour of gold.
1: And where did you where did you have it at the stage? Did you have it in your in your old house had here?
3: It outside. I had it in a special hide outside. It'd be handy for me to show to people. It was quite safe outside. Eh? I hadn't there is a, a, a year yarn gong that I had it thrown up in a bush. No, I had it hid quite safe. Nobody could see it.
1: And what was Gleeson's reaction when he saw it?
3: Oh, he was delighted. He said it was an ancient colour of gold. He knew immediately what it was.
1: And what did he do? What did he do? Did, did
3: Oh, he took it away. And he, he he took it away, and he found the Dublin Museum right away, because I had the museum. I had the keeper of the museum, Doctor Marr, down the following morning at eleven o'clock,
1: with some other people. With
3: with. Cabinet, we'll set, what was it like here then? It must
1: have been some excitement.
3: Well, the day was very bad anyway. It was teeming. And uh, he came with his attendants and we removed stones. No, was there any more stuff hid there? He came to the conclusion that it was a there could be nothing more hid um, in any way.
1: And uh, what financial compensation did you get for being the finder?
3: I got 75 pounds for the colour. It was, the colour weighed about around 8 ounces, and the gold value would be about 75 pounds. And I got 25 for finding it.
1: But it's priceless as a piece of, uh, of antiquity. That's right. You can't put a price
3: on it. You can't put a price on it now. And what feelings do you have now?
1: Nearly 50 years later, what feelings do you have about it and knowing it's in the museum and people come, come to see it?
3: Well, that I've been badly treated for such a valuable find, that I'm not recognized in any way for finding it. I am just, that I'm badly treated for finding it because I could not buy for gold value. And what
1: would you like, in what way would you like to be more compensated? Well, I'd
3: like to have my name in the colour of gold, the, the colour of gold in, in the museum, because friends of mine go to see They see the colour of gold. They know what was found. They know me, and still my name is not in it.
5: Well, ever since I came here and married him, people come all during the summer months to know where the colour of gold was found and to meet the man who found it. So I have many friends from all over the world who write to me. Every year at Christmas time, and some throughout the year, and they just come and go and come in and see the old fashioned house as was built in the old days and hasn't changed.
1: And the open fire that was standing there. fire,
5: and they want to see that and the thatched roof. They they want to meet him, and some of them want him to sign his autograph for them. And uh, they ha- he takes them to the place where he found it and one man from america sent him a replica of the collar in a spoon at christmas time
4: that is uh, an important find from the late bronze age one indeed of many from the 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 shannon region and uh, if you if you look about the the museum here you will see uh, quite a number of gold items from the lower shannon basin Uh, gold of course has its own romantic uh, ring about it And uh, in talking about Irish gold, we must remember that the earliest Irish gold used in the early Bronze Age, or Bronze Age, about 1800 BC, some of that would have come from the Wicklow Hills. Indeed, the last great gold rush in Wicklow was about 1796 or thereabouts, and the last great nugget, I think 22 ounces, of which we have a copy here. The original, unfortunately, thought to have been made into a snuff box for an English king. But the early gold was certainly Irish. Now the later gold is is thought to have come from Central Europe, and some of this uh, Shannon gold might well be from Central Europe. Uh, that's the result of an analysis carried out in Germany, uh, but nevertheless wrought and made in Ireland, genteen Ayrin, as one might say. The
1: significance of the Flan chalice and pattern has been such, extracted as it were, not only from the Irish civilization but from the golden age of Western European civilization that the scholars and experts of the international art fraternity have shown a keen interest in it. The chalice is now in the British Museum to be conserved and restored, a process that may take upwards of a year. Before its arrival there, the keeper of such antiquities discussed their pleasure in being allowed to work on
6: the Irish treasure. I was also pleased to see that it had not been seriously distorted. Um, And this is because, of course, it wasn't actually buried in uh, a lot of soil and hadn't been trodden on. And it had been rescued very quickly. We are uh, in the museum, of course, quite used to uh, having to deal with precious metal objects which have been trampled upon by uh, oxen or by careless uh, <laughs> workers. And we can, uh, if need be, bring these back to shape. But uh, I was relieved to find that we wouldn't have to do anything very drastic in reshaping the object, uh, there's a certain amount of corrosion around the surface, some of which has come from the cauldron which covered it. Uh, this we will be able to remove uh, without uh, much difficulty. Uh, there is a certain amount of interesting material sticking to it, and uh, there'll be a certain amount of uh, fixing loose material, and there may be a, a, l- a little bit of uh, putting in missing sections uh, to produce the, um, the correct aesthetic effect. But the chalice, as such, is largely complete. <laughs> it's the other objects that may need a little bit more uh, imagination to uh, put them t- into a presentable form, the pattern particularly.
1: Hannah Lane, chief conservation officer, metal section of the museum, had previously restored two other jewelled glories of that period the Ardar chalice and the Tara brooch.
7: It would be very different in that both the objects you've mentioned came to us having been previously cleaned. The Ardar chalice was cleaned by a jewel, I think, when it was first found and been completely taken apart. And I don't know about the Tara brooch, but it had been cleaned. And therefore the main work was on the scientific examination of how it was made and its technology. The actual conservation was just removing less than a century of tarnish, dirt and grease from handling which though painstaking, was relatively simple. Whereas these objects will be completely new from the ground and will have all their, not only just dirt from the ground, but all their corrosion, etc and will be revealing things that perhaps nobody has seen before. So uh, whereas so the others were a secondary thing that they that was doing it for the second time, these will be completely new. So it'll be more exciting and of course much more time consuming. It's a very beautiful object both to look at, the effect will be very beautiful when it's finished, but also it is very dirty and therefore will come up and you'll be really able to see what work you have done. There will be something to show for it. And certainly the conservation staff are very much looking forward to seeing it and working on it.
1: It is often said, without being either mystical or nonsensical about it, well, perhaps being a bit mystical, that the discovery of sacred objects like the chalice or objects similar that have been used in such consecrated worship that their re-emergence carries some thrust of responsibility. In the case of the dary chalice, the view has been put that the way in which it was used, passed out among the early Christians to be drunk from, held with the two handles among the worshippers, that that early rite could be restored again in a church of all the faithfuls, reunited from the schism and differences which ravaged belief in the thousand years after the chalice was made. Leaving aside such ecclesiastical speculation, what is undeniable is that the recovery has had an impact that is likely to be far-reaching. Because of the stand taken by Michael Webb, the National Museum may well find itself having to pay the going rate, the full antiquarian value, for such objects in the future, which in turn means the pressure of the chalice on the political will to fund the museum more adequately. For a people who seem to, outsiders, to wallow indulgently in their past, the modern Irish seem also curiously loath to actually spend much on conserving that claimed past.
4: I should imagine that at least uh, 20 chalices should be recoverable. Um, We we, we have uh, quite a number of ancient monastic sites, major ones, uh, in the early Irish church, Uh, Many of these church vessels and reliquaries were in the custodianship of keepers, families who kept these items. And until we get more staff, both in the National Museum and also in the Office of Public Works, the National Parks and Monuments branch, uh, I don't see that we can do all that we should do. Nevertheless, that does not mean to say that others should take on this work, as it were, without approval.
1: Already, the museum is suffering a surfeit of riches from Wood Quay and that is only a fraction from one of the richest Viking sites in Europe that would have had Scandinavians trekking here to see their past. So now with the chalice putting it up to us as to how serious we are about our treasures. The archaeologist Liam de Poire has written that it's doubtful if our state deserves to be the beneficiary of such an inheritance, as he put it, from such a noble past.
8: We have a great deal to be ashamed of in the way we have handled these matters, particularly since independence. Um, In fact, we're still, to some extent, coasting along on institutions that were formed uh, in the bad old days when we were in chains and slavery under the British. Uh, Not not altogether so. There was, uh, to the credit of the government at the time, in the 1930s, there was a movement to get something done about archaeological excavation. And indeed, that has been very beneficial to Irish studies uh, in general. But uh, that's, ra- I'm afraid, rather exceptional. Uh, I wasn't, of course, referring s- specifically to anything about the Darina Flan material itself. I think it should be in in public care, uh, material as important as that. And uh, I th- i think very much the Darina Flan horde should be in our National Museum. And w- I wasn't particularly criticising the, the museum. The museum is in a sad state as a result of... Uh, policies of governments and administrations over many, many decades. and uh, in, in, what in what way is it in a sad state? Well, it hasn't uh, had enough staff, it hasn't had enough money, uh, it has been neglected in various ways. Uh, the building was allowed to get into a poor state, uh, collections are not properly staffed, many of the collections are closed, and the material in them is in a bad way. Uh, the storage is haphazard. Here and there, some of it again, quite unsuitable for one reason or another for the purpose for which it's used, and uh, there just is a very very sad story there. Uh, I would think that our I th- this is this is very understandable. It happens in in a lot of new nations, but I think we have been philistine in our approach to a great many cultural matters. A great deal of po- politicians talk about our cultural heritage, uh, language, and everything else but very, very little practical action until very recently at any rate.
1: There's a kind of dichotomy there, isn't it? The Irish are known abroad for wallowing in their past, and yet when it comes to actually conserving it.
8: Well, I think we've seen a a tremendous change in the outlook of the Irish on their past. They don't conserve it. They never really did conserve it. Uh, There was a kind of laziness which prevented them from knocking down things so that the country is full of ruins, where elsewhere they'd have been cleared out of the way and uh, of course there was uh, both a, re- a genuine reverence for the past and also a great deal of superstition which protected many monuments now uh, dynamite and bulldozers and development schemes and eec money and the new affluent society uh, have changed all that overnight and what we lack i think is the kind of solid uh, middle-class tradition uh, of caring for things like that of having public spirit about things that don't put an immediate couple of pounds in your pocket uh, which most developed European countries have uh, we, we, we have lacked that stratum of society and that continuous tradition that you get in places like Germany, France and Italy and so on where indeed as well you have the, the get-rich-quick people uh, but there is also some sort of a solid basis for uh, a public culture uh, which is going to take us quite a time to build up
2: What we did was we, we put everything into the bronze basin and i think we, we put a um, plastic bag or something under the basin itself so that because there's a few holes in the basin just in case anything might fall out and uh, the person we took turns in carrying that over the bog and um, th- there was a person behind then one of us went behind to see if if anything fell which anything didn't and dad brought it brought it home then and um, he packed them in boxes with you know paper and all that so they wouldn't get damaged I was gone back to school that night I think
1: and did you tell anybody about it here?
2: no I didn't (laughs) I told a tree actually big tree standing up in front of me and I went up to it (laughs) and told him (laughs) quite stupid actually and uh, do you still go metal detecting? yeah I was just out there last week we went out had a very enjoyable day, very wet day, very wet indeed, in fact, and um, didn't find anything very much. Found a horseshoe.